How's it going, food eaters? I'm glad you could take some time for this podcast. This is Mel Weinstein, host of the Food Labels Revealed podcast and the self-professed prophet of processed foods. Welcome to the 20th episode. The whole purpose of this podcast is to talk about what's in processed foods and beverages. And hopefully, with every episode, you'll get a mini lesson in food science and food history. In today's show, chocolate is being showcased. There will be some talk about cravings, how Christopher Columbus encountered chocolate but failed to recognize its value, what is Dutch cocoa, what the heck is conking, why did it take so long to make milk chocolate, the only town in America named after a chocolate company, the evaluation of three chocolate bars, and the myriad benefits of chocolate. At the end of the show, You'll also hear some news highlights from the world of processed foods. For those new to the podcast, here's some of my history. I have a 30-plus year background in chemistry education, food testing, and food chemical research. And for many years, I've had a fascination, some may call it an obsession, with processed foods, what's in those foods, and how they may be affecting our health. This is the only podcast that is devoted to looking behind the processed food curtain at all of those strange, unusual, and sometimes dangerous ingredients that wind up in many of the foods stocked on the shelves of our grocery and convenience stores. This is a 100% guaranteed free podcast. It won't cost you a penny, and I won't beg for money. There are no sponsors or financial supporters. All the opinions expressed in this podcast are mine, and I refuse to help promote any business, commercial product, or organization. All I ask of you is to lend me your ears for a short time to inform, educate, and hopefully entertain. So let's get started. You have to agree with me that this is a great time of year to be doing a podcast about chocolate. It's Halloween 2017. Of course, Halloween is one of the biggest commercial events of the year for chocolate manufacturers. Here are some facts about chocolate and Halloween from the website Chegg.com, an online textbook rental company dedicated to helping students in high schools and colleges. An incredible 90 million pounds of chocolate candy is sold during Halloween week, more than for Easter and Valentine's Day. Of the $1.9 billion sold in Halloween candy each year, $1.2 billion was on chocolate candy and only $680 million on sugar candy. The biggest sellers, Snickers, Reese's, Kit Kat, and M&M's. No big surprise there. There are very few foods that I crave on a regular basis, but chocolate really has a hold on me. Fortunately, I usually eat the healthier kind, which I'll talk about later, but there's still a bunch of sugar and fat involved, which both feed the addiction. Hi, my name is Mel, and I'm a chocoholic. Every month or two, I'll get a really strong craving, then binge on chocolate for a week or two. I'm not talking megaton quantities here, but I will consume roughly one to two pounds during the craving period. Then I get tired of it, stop the consumption, and patiently wait until the next craving appears. In fact, I'm in one of my binges right now. 
The word chocoholic first appeared in Webster's Dictionary in 1968. It turns out that there are some natural substances in chocolate that may contribute to cravings. For example, there's tryptophan, a precursor to serotonin, a neurotransmitter that regulates moods, like elation. Another contributor is phenylethylamine, nicknamed chocolate amphetamine, which can cause feelings of excitement and attraction. Then, of course, there are the stimulants, theobromine and caffeine. Chocolate sounds like a witch's brew of brain-intoxicating chemicals, but man, is it good. Interestingly, women are especially affected by chocolate. Maybe that's why we men give them gifts of chocolate. Now, some of you food eaters who have listened to this program before know that I can't do a podcast without commenting on the history of food. So, here I go on chocolate. There's such a long and rich history concerning the story of chocolate that I really can't do it justice in 45 minutes, so I'll just concentrate on the highlights and some of the more interesting facts. Cocoa trees are actually evergreen trees that only grow upwards of 26 feet and are native to the tropical zones of Central and South America, but have spread by human means to other countries just north and south of the equator. Today, nearly 70% of raw cocoa is grown in West Africa. Later, I'll talk about where that word cocoa comes from, but for now, I'll use it whenever I'm talking about chocolate. The trees produce cocoa pods that hang down from branches, and those pods contain cocoa beans. However, the pods don't ripen at the same time, so harvesting occurs periodically throughout the year. According to the book, The True History of Chocolate by Sophie and Michael Coe, chocolate is a very old foodstuff for humans, supposedly dating back thousands of years. Originally, people didn't eat the chocolate beans, but instead made a fermented alcoholic beverage from the sweet pulp that surrounded the beans. The pod has a thick, rough rind, and inside the rind dispersed in the pulp is anywhere from 30 to 50 large seeds that are soft and have a pale lavender to dark brown purple color. About 10 years ago, I was in Guatemala. Uh, one day, while roaming around a market in a small village, I found a vendor selling cocoa pods. They were surprisingly expensive. I think I paid $8 for a small pod, which I actually still have. It's dark brown and has a very wrinkly rind on it. When I shake the pod, it, it sounds like a rattle. For some reason, I never cracked it open to look for the cocoa beans. Probably at this point, they're in dismal condition. In the old days, the native peoples of Mesoamerica would crack open the pods with a machete, then remove the pulp and beans. That material would be laid out on grates for several days. The pulp and seeds would then ferment and liquefy. In those days, chocolate was not eaten as a solid food, but as a fermented, frothy beverage. This beverage was prized by the Mayans and later the Aztecs, who considered it magical, with divine properties, and it was often used in special ceremonies and rituals. It was also considered valuable and used as a currency. 
When the Aztecs of Mexico conquered the Mayans of Central America, they demanded tribute in the form of cocoa, since they were unable to grow the cocoa trees themselves. It was the Aztecs who developed an economy based on cocoa, including a number of trade routes. For example, a pumpkin cost four cocoa beans, a rabbit cost ten, and a tamale one. Of course, the Aztec system of trade came to an end with the invasion of the Spanish conquistadors starting in the early 16th century. Christopher Columbus was the first explorer to find out about cocoa beans sometime during his fourth visit to the New World. The story has it that in 1502, Christopher Columbus, as was his way, robbed the cocoa cargo of a native Mayan trader near modern-day Honduras. Columbus mistook the beans for some kind of almonds and didn't realize their value and potential use. Here is a quote from him. They seemed to hold these almonds at a great price, for when they were brought on board ship together with their goods, I observed that when any of these almonds fell, they all stooped to pick it up as if an eye had fallen. End quote. When Columbus brought the New World booty back to Spain and exhibited all his treasures to the king and queen, they were not impressed with the cocoa beans. It took another 15 years for that to change. It was one of the greatest and most ruthless Spanish explorers, Hernando Cortez, who discovered the secret of cocoa. He and his band of conquistadors invaded central Mexico where he encountered the Aztecs and their great king, Montezuma. Although greatly outnumbered, Cortez, in his good fortune, was hailed by Montezuma as a white god and welcomed him into the Aztec capital. It was there that he learned about the fermented chocolate beverage, which supposedly Montezuma drank 50 times a day. Now that would be some kind of chocolate buzz. The Aztecs called the drink, drink chocolate, meaning warm liquid, and served it to Cortez and his party in gold goblets. So you can imagine how Cortez associated chocolate with royalty and wealth. He knew a good thing when he saw it. The Spanish really didn't care for the drink since it was so bitter, but they later got the idea of adding cane sugar or honey or cinnamon, making it much more enjoyable, and hence began the Spanish chocolate craze among the aristocracy and eventually the start of the European chocolate industry. Early on, many Europeans believed that the liquid chocolate had nutritious, medicinal, and aphrodisiacal properties. However, it was only the rich and famous that could afford the expensive import in the 1500s. The Spanish managed to keep liquid chocolate a secret for about 100 years. But when the daughter of a Spanish king wed the king of France in 1615, the secret of chocolate came with her. The popularity of the magic elixir grew rapidly among the rest of the aristocrats of Europe, creating a huge demand for it. To fill that demand, European powers established cocoa plantations in equatorial regions around the world. That desire for chocolate helped to create the slave trade, and many African peoples were kidnapped and sold into slavery to provide the labor for cocoa plantations in Central America 
and other parts of the world. Now, let's jump a few hundred years to modern-day chocolate making and look at a few big breakthroughs in the chocolate industry. The first solid chocolate, cocoa powder, was made in 1828 by the Dutch chemist Conrad Johannes von Houten. He invented the cocoa press, which revolutionized the chocolate industry. The press could squeeze out half the natural fat, known as cocoa butter, from roasted beans, pulverizing the residue that remained and treating it with alkaline salts to cut the bitter taste, produce a darker, solid cocoa. His product became known as Dutch cocoa, and it soon led to the creation of solid chocolate. This new production technique greatly cheapened the chocolate-making process and made chocolate affordable for the masses. The first chocolate bar was made by the Englishman Joseph Fry, who in 1847 discovered that a moldable chocolate paste could be prepared by mixing cocoa butter with the Dutch cocoa. His company, J.S. Fry & Sons, marketed the first edible chocolate bar made from cocoa butter, cocoa powder, and sugar, and produced many variations on the theme throughout the 19th century. His company eventually merged with Cadbury, which is still around today. The next great advancement in chocolate manufacturing occurred in 1879 with the creation of the conking machine by the Swiss inventor Rodolphe Lint. Note the Lint Chocolate Company exists today. This specially designed scraper mixer produced chocolate with a velvety texture and superior taste compared to the gritty chocolate of the past. The mixing process could take up to 78 hours to produce a very rich taste. Another chocolate innovation occurred in 1875 that allowed the production of the type of chocolate that is the current bestseller in the world. I'm talking about milk chocolate. Although milk chocolate was available as a liquid confection since 1839, the Swiss chocolatier M. Daniel Peter found a way to make a solid milk chocolate which is sweeter and smoother and cheaper than dark chocolate making it more preferable. The reason that it took so long to create a decent milk chocolate was due to technology. Milk is mostly water. Trying to mix milk with liquid chocolate is like trying to combine water with oil. The two will readily separate. Removing most of the water from milk would do the trick. M. Daniel Peter fortuitously, fortuitously had a meeting with his father-in-law, Henry Nestle, the inventor of evaporated milk. By combining liquid chocolate with sweetened condensed milk, a uniform stable milk chocolate product could be made. In the United States, the founder of the Hershey Company, Milton Hershey, came up with a proprietary method for making milk chocolate from cow's milk obtained from local farms. The methodology is still a company secret. At this point, let's clear up some terminology about chocolate that can be confusing. The words cocoa, cacao, and chocolate are often used interchangeably. However, most experts use the word cacao when referring to the plant or the raw beans, while chocolate refers to the products made from the beans. Cocoa usually refers to the solid powder made from chocolate. 
In this podcast so far, I've only used the word cocoa for pretty much everything just to avoid confusion. The title for this podcast episode comes from the Latin name for the cacao tree, which is Theobroma cacao, which means food of the gods. Another term that you may have heard of is cacao nibs. This refers to near-raw chocolate obtained from mechanically crushing fermented and dried beans. So this stuff is minimally processed chocolate and would have the highest concentration of nutrients of any type of chocolate. However, it would also be the most bitter tasting. If you're curious about the nibs, they are readily available for sale online, and with a little searching, you can find recipes for making concoctions from them. Before getting to some specific chocolate products, I want to come back to the subject of slavery. As I mentioned earlier, after the European aristocracy got hooked on chocolate in the 1500s, they needed a steady, reliable, and cheap supply of it. So chocolate crops were established in other equatorial countries, and the African slave trade provided the labor to plant and harvest the cacao trees. Although the African slave trade ended in the 1800s, Slavery continued to be used in the chocolate industry to the present day. In 1998, word got out that child slavery and child trafficking was being used in West Africa. According to a report by the International Labor Organization, in 2013 and 2014, more than 1,300,000 children were working on cacao farms in the Ivory Coast, with many of the children being victims of child trafficking. A lower but significant number of child laborers were reported in Ghana. When this news got out, the big chocolate companies like Hershey, Cadbury, and Nestle were put on the defensive with people claiming that they were profiting from illegal child labor and trafficking. Noting that the United States has laws against importing goods produced using slave labor, Congressman Elliot Engel and Senator Tom Harkin proposed to enact a slave-free label for chocolate in the early 2000s. The United States cocoa industry lobbied against this, and the mandatory labeling proposal was reduced to a voluntary system. As a consumer, the only way you can know for sure that the chocolate that you eat was not produced by illegal child labor is to purchase chocolate products that are labeled fair trade or organic or both. Usually the labels on the products will indicate chocolate made from ethically grown cacao with labels such as Fair Trade Certified, Fair Trade Federation, UTZ Certified, and Rainforest Alliance. Or, if the labels mention a country outside of Africa, then the chocolate is probably ethically grown. For a list of ethically uh, grown chocolate, go to the website Slave Free Chocolate. Well, let's move on to checking out and comparing some specific chocolate bars. We all know there are zillions of chocolate products in the world, so I'm going to limit my attention to only three products where chocolate is a prominent ingredient. And I will go from lowest to highest chocolate content. White chocolate made with cocoa butter but not cocoa powder will not be part of this discussion. Here are three chocolate bars that I found in my local grocery store. There's Hershey's Milk Chocolate, 
Uh, it was $1.50 for a 4.25 ounce bar, or it was 35 cents per ounce. Second, endangered species dark chocolate. It was $2.79 for a 3 ounce bar, and that's 93 cents per ounce. And lastly, there's Lind Supreme Dark Chocolate at $2.29 for a 3.5 ounce bar, or 65 cents per ounce. Let's start with the Hershey bar. The founder, Milton Hershey, got into the candy making business in 1873 in Philadelphia. After making a small fortune with the production of caramels, he built a plant to make chocolate bars in 1900. In 1903, he built another plant in Derry Church, Pennsylvania, which later became known as Hershey, Pennsylvania. If you've never been there, it's an interesting place to visit. The streetlights are shaped like chocolate kisses, and there's a palpable fantasy feeling to the whole place. Tourists can visit the Coco House, the Hershey Estate, the Hotel Hershey, the Hershey Amusement Park, and the Hershey Sports Arena. Milton Hershey essentially created a place to live and work for his employees. Nowadays, the Hershey Company makes a bunch of chocolate products many of which I stuffed in my face as a kid, uh, including Fifth Avenue, Almond Joy, all the Cadbury products, Dacoba, Heath, Hershey Bars, Kisses, Kit Kat, Milk Duds, Mounds, Mr. Good Bar, Reese's, Rolo, Whoppers, York, and Zero. Here are the 10 ingredients in the Hershey's Milk Chocolate Bar. Note that I was unable to find this information at the Hershey website. So here we go. There's milk chocolate, which is really essentially the, the main component here. Uh, and they list the ingredients in milk chocolate. So we have sugar, milk, chocolate, cocoa butter, lactose, milk fat, soy lecithin, PGPR, vanillin, and finally artificial flavor. How much chocolate is actually in a Hershey's milk chocolate bar? It's hard to say. The FDA regulations state that for a product to be called chocolate, it must have at least 10% chocolate liquor in it. It's estimated that a Hershey's milk chocolate bar has about 11%. Notice that the first ingredient listed is sugar. That's a big red flag telling you that the chocolate content is very low. The second ingredient is milk, also telling you the same thing. The fifth ingredient is lactose or milk sugar, another sugar source. The seventh ingredient is soy lecithin, a highly processed soybean derivative, which, as we've seen in the past, serves as an emulsifier to keep the water and oily parts of the chocolate mixed together. The eighth ingredient is PGPR. That is both a new ingredient for the podcast and the ingredient of the day. Here we have another example of an additive that a food company prefers not to list with its full name. One can speculate about the reason or reasons, such as there's not enough room on the label or the name sounds too much like a chemical, but the FDA permits certain ingredients to be listed as acronyms. So much for transparency and the right of consumers to be properly informed about what they're eating. 
Although Hershey's does not provide a list of ingredients in their milk chocolate bar at their website, they strangely are very upfront about all the ingredients they use in their products by providing a glossary. And you can find that at the HersheyCompany.com. Here, with a little bit of digging, you can learn that PGPR stands for polyglycerol polygricanoliate, a material that also acts as an emulsifying agent. It is derived from castor bean oil and is used to improve the flow characteristics of chocolate. To get a feel for how industrial this food ingredient actually is, the two components, glycerol and castor oil, castor oil, are both individually heated to 200 degrees. That's 100 degrees above the boiling point of water. I should mention that's 200 degrees Celsius. And in the presence of an alkaline catalyst. And, and then the two liquids are combined uh, to form this polymeric liquid PGPR. As an interesting aside, right in the middle of the second word in polyricanoliate is the shorter word ricin, R-I-C-I-N. Ricin is a protein found in castor beans, which is one of the most toxic chemicals known to humankind. About 68 milligrams can kill a person. But I don't mean to imply that there's any ricin in chocolate. No, no way. The 10th and last ingredient is our old favorite artificial flavor. And who knows what that is? Uh, the Hershey Company chooses not to share that information with us. The second chocolate bar to evaluate is Endangered Species Dark Chocolate. Endangered Species Chocolate is a small company in Indiana that makes about 20 products from milk and dark chocolate. At its website, chocolatebar.com, the following four ingredients are listed. Bittersweet chocolate. Of course, that, again, that's the main the main thing in the bar. And it's composed of the following. Chocolate liqueur, cane sugar, soy lecithin, and vanilla. Notice that the type of chocolate mentioned is bittersweet. This is another name for dark chocolate. And the FDA regulates that dark chocolate must have a minimum of 35% chocolate liquor. The actual chocolate content for this bar is a whopping 88%. That's a lot of cocoa, and most people probably need to acquire a taste for that richness of chocolate, since it's going to be less, way less sweet. That is, it's going to be bitter than most other kinds of chocolate. Did you hear that there are only four ingredients in this product? Well, that's a good thing. These same ingredients are found in the Hershey's Milk Chocolate Bar, so they are pretty common to the chocolate industry. But there is a big difference between the two bars. The endangered species product is labeled as fair trade, non-GMO, gluten-free, and vegan, plus 10% of the profits are donated to a charity. So this chocolate is ethically sourced. No slave labor involved. Contrast that to the Hershey's Bar label, where you don't see any of those things mentioned. The third and last chocolate bar to talk about is Lint Excellence Supreme Dark. Lint was mentioned earlier as a Swiss manufacturer who invented the conking machine in 1879 to make chocolate more velvety, and that was the year he founded his own chocolate company in Bern. His company eventually merged with a larger one, 
now called Lint and Sprungli, and currently produces dozens of milk and dark chocolate bars, ice creams, truffles, Russell Stover candies, and liqueurs. The following uh, are the five ingredients listed for this chocolate bar. There's chocolate, cocoa butter, cocoa powder, sugar, and lastly, bourbon vanilla beans. The actual chocolate content for this bar is a phenomenal 90%. Yes, I said 90%. So it has even less sugar in it than the endangered species bar. The one ingredient that's a little different here than the other bars is the flavor from the bourbon vanilla beans. Rather than using natural or artificial vanilla flavoring, Lint is using the good stuff, flavor obtained directly from a high quality bean. However, looking at the bar's package, there is no mention of organic, fair trade, non-GMO, gluten-free, or vegan. So again, the source of the chocolate is totally unknown, uh, meaning it could come from a cacao plantation that uses child slavery. There's probably not a food subject that's been talked about more in the last 20 years than the health benefits of chocolate. Seems that every year, some new health claim is made about this wonder food, sometimes called a superfood. Of course, every year, I've felt better and better about my chocolate addiction since I've become convinced that stuffing my face with chocolate is really improving my health. But let's put things in perspective. Chocolate bars are still candy with lots of sugar and fat and the more processed they are the more additives and synthetic chemicals are in them if we really wanted to examine the health benefits associated with chocolate we should focus on the least processed chocolate that is cocoa nibs the form of chocolate that most people will never encounter and have no desire to eat so let's start there according to the website nuts.com here are some of the nutritional, physiological, and psychological benefits of cacao nibs. They're an excellent source of fiber, iron, and magnesium. Chock full of antioxidants to protect the body from the ravages of free radicals. Improve cognitive function, possibly from the high polyphenol content. It's beneficial to the cardiovascular system and can reduce blood pressure. The flavanols in chocolate may lower the risk of type 2 diabetes by regulating blood glucose levels and improving the production of insulin. It can be a mood elevator and reduce anxiety by increasing the levels of endorphins and serotonin in the brain. The flavonoids may reduce the risk of chronic diseases such as cancer, stroke, and heart attacks. Chocolate has a substance called theobromine based on the botanical name of the cacao plant. Remember, it's Latin for food of the gods. This compound can act as a vasodilator, reducing blood pressure, and also as a heart stimulant. It may be the causative factor behind the claim that chocolate is an aphrodisiac. It can also harden tooth enamel, protecting teeth from decay. On the downside, too much theobromine is associated with prostate cancer in men. Why is there always too much of a good thing? Well, the benefits of chocolate get less and less as the concentration of chocolate gets lower and lower. 
So looking at our three examples, the Hershey's Milk Chocolate Bar at about 11% chocolate provides the least amount of health benefits, while the Lint Dark Chocolate at 90% provides the most. Let's summarize what we've learned about commercial chocolate bars. If you want your chocolate cheap, smooth, tasty, but with few health benefits, then you'll want to buy the highly processed products like Hershey's Milk Chocolate, where milk and sugar are the main ingredients. At 35 cents per ounce, this chocolate is about half the price of the Lindt dark chocolate at 65 cents per ounce. Of course, you get what you pay for. If you give a hoot about the source of the cacao in your chocolate bar and worry about things like child slavery and fair wages, as well as your health, then you'll spend the extra money on products like endangered species dark chocolate, which was the most expensive at 93 cents per ounce, over two and a half times more expensive than the Hershey's bar. It all comes down to awareness and making conscious decisions about what to consume. Also, one could argue it's, it's also a matter of availability because many supermarkets and convenience stores don't even carry the better chocolate. To choose the better chocolate, a person needs to put some effort into seeking it out. Well, it's time to introduce a new feature here at the Food Labels Revealed Studio. What's happening in the world of processed food? I have been scouring the network news sources in the last few weeks looking for interesting stories about the processed food industry. So, among the hundreds of stories that I found, I'll share abridged versions of three of them. First one up. This, uh, this article is entitled, Obesity in America Getting Worse, comes from Fortune magazine and it's based on uh, some report from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. This came out on October 13th. Record numbers of Americans are obese. Obesity means having a body mass index or BMI of 30 or over, whereas a BMI of between 25 and 29.9 earns the classification of overweight. More than 70% of Americans are now either obese or overweight by this measure. However, the statistics are particularly worrying. Almost 40% of adults are obese. The childhood obesity rate for ages 6 to 19 has increased to 20%. Childhood obesity is linked to increased mortality rates in adulthood, and obesity can lead to diseases such as cancer, heart disease, and diabetes. The World Health Organization, known as WHO, warned this week that the number of obese kids and adolescents has risen tenfold over the last four decades around the world. The WHO blamed the relatively low price of unhealthy food relative to nutritious alternatives, calling for cheaper healthy foods and more regulations and taxes to protect kids against unhealthy foods. The second article is entitled, Is Your Breakfast Dyed Red from Crushed Bugs? Kind of unusual title there. It comes from the Alternative Daily, an online magazine. This came out on October 29th. Virtually any processed food you buy, from your favorite soft drink to the cereal you have for breakfast, looks how it is because of food coloring. 
generally artificial but sometimes natural, these colors actually shape the way we've come to see food. Most orange juice gets its bright orange hue from artificial colorings. Colors, <laughs> colas get their dark brown color from, well, brown color additives. And marshmallows, believe it or not, get their white color from blue dye. In the absence of food colors, most of the processed goods you buy would probably be varying shades of brown. And considering processed foods make up an estimated 70% of the average American diet, that's a whole lot of brown. In the U.S., most of our food is colored with artificial coloring. This amounts to approximately 15 million pounds of artificial dyes added to our food every year, a figure that's far higher here than it is in much of Europe and the rest of the Western world. In the U.K., for example, Nutrigrain strawberry cereal bars are composed of natural colors like beet, beetroot red, annatto, and paprika extract. In the U.S., the same bars are made from red 40, yellow 6, and blue 1, all artificial. In places like the U.K. and the rest of Europe, high-profile manufacturers like Walmart, Kraft, and Coca-Cola have responded to consumer complaints about artificial colors by completely removing them from their product lines. Sadly, in the U.S., the FDA continues to allow these synthetic ingredients in the foods we regularly eat. Today, most synthetic food dyes are now created from petroleum, otherwise known as crude oil. It's not a great improvement from the coal tar food colorings of yesteryear, and a growing body of evidence has linked artificial colors used in U.S. foods to attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, known as ADHD, cancer, and metabolic and mitochondrial dysfunction. It's actually a pretty big deal. A 2013 review of artificial food colors found that all of the nine currently U.S.-approved dyes raise health concerns of varying degrees. Those range from genotoxic effects to hypersensitivity reactions to carcinogenicity. There is a reason why artificial food colorings are far more prevalent in the food industry than natural colors. It's simply cost. Natural food colorings are 8 to 20 times more expensive than artificial colorings, making the pro-artificial decision a no-brainer for profit-hungry manufacturers. But occasionally, a consumer-focused food manufacturer will make a point of using natural food dyes rather than artificial ones. And in these cases, there's generally no cause for suspicion. Another common natural food coloring, known as carminic acid, is used to dye foods a deep red color. And the source of this color? Bugs. Centuries ago, the Aztecs made a discovery. They found that by crushing up thousands of a type of insect called a cochineal, they could produce a deep red dye from their fab for their fabrics and textiles. Upon rediscovering what the Aztecs already knew, modern manufacturers were quick to jump on board and have been coloring your strawberry yogurt and cranberry juice with that stuff ever since. If you want to avoid artificial food colors and all the potential health issues they present, your best bet is to stick to natural whole foods, fresh produce, unprocessed meats, and organic dairy. But if that's not always an option, be sure to read the ingredients label on the back. If you see something like blue number one or yellow number five, put it back and move on. That's the end of the second article. Now, the third and last article is entitled 
call for monumental rethink of food systems that make people sick. Now this comes from an online magazine uh, from Europe called Food Navigator, published October 16th. IPES Food, a think tank based in Brussels, found that many of the most severe health conditions from respiratory diseases to a range of cancers and systematic livelihood stressors are closely linked to industrial food and farming practices. Mass marketing of ultra-processed foods has, had, has led to rising levels of obesity, but is just one of a number of interconnected, self-reinforcing, and complex ways in which food systems have led to poor health the experts said, as well as junk food, chemical-intensive agriculture, concentrated livestock production, and long and deregulated global commodity supply chains were also to blame. Food systems are making us sick, explained lead author Cecilia Roca. Unhealthy diets are the most obvious link, but are only one of many pathways through which food and farming systems affect human health. We must address the root causes of inequitable, unsustainable, and unhealthy practices in food systems, she added. And urgently, given that the economic costs of modern food and farming systems have become impossible to ignore, IPES Food identified five key leverage points for building healthier food systems. One, promoting food systems thinking at all levels. Two, reasserting scientific integrity and research as a public good. Three, bringing the positive impacts of alternative food systems to light. Four, adopting the precautionary principle. And five, building integrated food policies under participatory governance. In August, the World Bank suggested that scrapping subsidies for unhealthy ingredients and introducing new laws to regulate the marketing of junk food to children would help tackle rising levels of obesity. All right, well, that's the end of the third article. I'll leave you on a serious note there. Well, I've come to the end of the show. I hope you've learned some stuff about chocolate, and hopefully you'll be a little more discerning in your choice of chocolate bars the next time a craving strikes. Read those labels. To all you food eaters out there, thanks for tuning in. If you could leave a review, good or bad, at the iTunes store, I'd greatly appreciate it. You can find all the episodes of Food Labels Revealed in their show notes at the hosting website called Podbean. That's at www.podbean.com or by Googling Food Labels Revealed. And of course, you can always listen to the podcast on your smartphone or tablet, wherever podcasts are found. Also, if you have a question or comment on anything about food ingredients or this podcast, feel free to drop me a line at foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. That's all one phrase, foodlabelsrevealed at gmail.com. Until next time, let that dark chocolate slowly melt in your mouth. Don't chew it. And if you want to eat well and keep yourself healthy, Eat food mainly from natural plants, not manufacturing plants.